the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Vamos a ir a San Juan, capítulo 14, beginning at verse 1. We started talking about last night, or last time, last Wednesday, the, uh, the return of Christ, the promise of Christ's return. Hemos comenzado una serie de estudios esta noche sobre el regreso de nuestro Señor. And we mentioned how Christmas is a celebration of the first coming of Christ, but it's also a good time to remember the promise of his return. Uh, hemos dicho que la Navidad es un, una buena hora, buen tiempo para celebrar la primer venida de nuestro Señor Jesucristo y a la vez para uh, anunciar y anticipar su regreso. How many of you believe that Jesus came? Yeah, he's more than a legend or a myth. He's a historical fact. Jesus came. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? Amen. Amen. That is the blessed hope of the church. Nosotros no solamente creemos que Cristo vino, sino también creemos que Cristo regresará conforme su promesa. And when you look at the Old Testament, you see out of over 300 promises concerning the coming of Christ, fulfilled in Christ, we see the amazing precision with which God told us about the first coming of Jesus. And I happen to believe that if God fulfilled all the promises concerning the first coming, that he'll fulfill all the promises concerning the second coming. And so when we talk about the second coming of Christ, what we're actually saying is that we believe the Bible. And we believe that what God has revealed in his word is in fact true. And so as we celebrate the advent, the coming of Christ, we also anticipate what he promises here in John 14, John 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. <coughs> if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Would you pray with me tonight? Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful. We ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach your word tonight. And I pray as well that you would anoint the hearing of everyone in this room as well as those who has joined us online. That as they hear the word tonight, they may be comforted by its truth and also spurred on to good works. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. 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 As we talk about the second coming of Christ, I want to mention to you a few things about this passage of Scripture in John 14. Uh, este pasaje de la Escritura en Juan 14 is a, a unique passage uh, because Jesus in this moment is about to be uh, going toward the cross. By the 14th chapter of John, he has been in the upper room with the disciples the night before his crucifixion. And within a few hours, he's going to be leaving uh, them in, in order to die on the cross for our sins. Cuando leemos Juan 14, estamos leyendo un capítulo que ocurre durante las horas antes de la cruz de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. And uh, as you can read through the text, there's a lot of tension in the text. Hay una gran uh, 
tensión en el texto porque estos discípulos están para ser despedidos de la presencia de su Señor. The disciples are about to be dismissed uh, from the presence of Jesus. They're about to be without Jesus whom they have been following for the last three years and whom they have put their faith in as being the Jewish Messiah. Ellos habían creído que Jesús era el Mesías de los judíos. Y ahora se va a despedir de ellos. And so he says to them, don't let your heart be troubled. Les dice, no se preocupen, no se turbe vuestro corazón. Creen en Dios, crean también en mí. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. And then he makes this declaration. He says, I am going away and I am going to prepare a place for you. And then when that place is ready, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you to myself. And so we see here the great promise that Jesus makes is that he is going to go away, he's going to come back, and he's going to receive the church to himself. So I want you to notice those three things. He said, I'll go away, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to receive you to myself. And when you read that, you're reading a promise that Jesus made to the disciples, but ultimately it's a promise that Jesus makes to you and I and to every believer until he comes. That he is coming back. Aquí tenemos la firme promesa que Jesús ha hecho a su iglesia. Que él se iba a ir, que iba a regresar y que va a llevarnos consigo. Now, in order to understand this passage, we have to get a little bit into the Jewish tradition. Para entender este pasaje, tenemos que entender un poco de la tradición judía. Uh, in a Jewish tradition, specifically this passage, John 14, Jesus is using the language of a Jewish wedding. En este capítulo, Jesús está usando la, el lenguaje de una boda judía. And the Jewish weddings are not like American weddings or even Mexican weddings or Latin American weddings or European weddings because in American weddings, the, the, the center of attention is who? The bride. I'm glad you all knew that. Uh, en una boda americana, una me boda mexicana, el centro de la atención es la novia. But in the Jewish wedding, things were a little different. The bride still was the big center of attention. But the way a Jewish wedding worked was that you didn't wait for the bride to arrive. You know, in an American wedding, we sit in the church and we wait for the bride to arrive, right? En una uh, boda americana, nos sentamos en la iglesia y esperamos que llegue la novia. And if it's a Mexican wedding, she's usually an hour or so late, right? Uh, si es una boda mexicana, siempre llega tarde la novia, como quiera. That's already to be expected. All right, so um, when we hear the little, the little um, wedding march, we hear, here comes the bride, right? Well, in a Jewish wedding, it's really more like, here comes the groom. Because once this couple was engaged, um, and they were, the, the term was betrothed, cuando esta pareja está ya, ahí se me pasó la palabra, engaged, están prometidos a casarse uno al otro, and so then, the groom would leave the bride and he would go and prepare the home where they're going to live and he didn't tell her when he was coming back. So there was not exactly a wedding date. Uh, el novio, uh, ya habiendo uh, prometido casarse con esta mujer, la dejaba en la casa de su padre y él iba a preparar el lugar donde ellos iban a ir a, a vivir and normally this was in his father's house. He would build a house onto his father's house él edificaba una casa al lado de la casa de su padre 
Y luego cuando ya terminaba de edificar la casa, when the house was built, then he would get his groomsmen together and they would make a big loud um, procession through town to go and receive the bride. And now we're going to have a wedding. Entonces cuando ya estaba terminado todo, el novio con uh, sus amigos, sus amistades, iban en gran procesión a la casa de la uh, novia para tener esta boda. And so that is the picture that Jesus gives to the disciples. He says, I am going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when he describes the place that he's going to prepare for us, he says it's in the Father's house. So the, the coming of Christ for us, for the church, is going to be like a wedding. La venida de nuestro Señor Jesucristo por su iglesia va a ser una boda. In fact, when you read the book of Revelation, chapter 19, the Bible talks about the marriage of the Lamb. En uh, Apocalipsis, capítulo 19, leemos ahí la escritura que habla de la, de la, uh, la, la boda de nuestro Señor, la bodas del Cordero, y que ahí está la novia vestida, vestida de blanco. We see there in that picture the bride dressed in white and adorned for her groom. And so the return of Christ is the picture that Jesus gives us is that of a wedding. And so tonight, I want to talk to you tonight as the bride of Christ. Esta noche quiero hablar hacia nosotros como la novia o como la esposa del Cordero. Because the work of the Holy Spirit in our day right now, la obra del Espíritu Santo en nuestro día hoy, es... Um, de preparar la novia para el cordero. The work of the Holy Spirit in our generation is to prepare the bride. And so I want you to go with me to the book of Genesis. Vamos a ir a Genesis, el capítulo uh, 24, Genesis chapter 24 for a moment. Genesis 24, Genesis 24 gives us an Old Testament picture of what's going on in the world right now. In Genesis 24, tenemos una escena, uh, un cuadro, de lo que está ocurriendo en el mundo ahora. Now, in Genesis 24, you have several people that I want you to uh, be familiar with. In Genesis 24, hay varias personas que quiero que usted uh, relacione. The first one is Abraham. Say Abraham. Now, Abraham had a son. His, his son's name was Isaac. Say Isaac. And then Abraham had a servant, and his servant's name was Eliezer. Say Eliezer. All right, if you have to name a son someday, Isaac's the best name of the three. All right, just uh, put that in your notes there. Um, but you have here Abraham, Isaac, and Eliezer. And what I want you to see is that this is an Old Testament picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Aquí tenemos a Abraham, Isaac, y Eliezer. Y son para nosotros en el Antiguo Testamento un retrato de la persona del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. The Bible teaches us that God is eternally revealed as one God in three people, three persons I should say, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Abraham is the representative in this picture of the Father. He has a son named Isaac and he wants to uh, prepare for his son, a bride. And now I know that sounds unusual to us because in our world, fathers don't, don't get brides for sons, right? 
Um, if, if someone wants to get married, they go out and find their own bride. But in this case, in the Old Testament, uh, marriages were arranged. And so Abraham wants to arrange a wedding, a bride, for his son. And uh, so he brings, he calls Eleazar to himself. He says, Eleazar, I'm going to send you to the land of Rebekah, that's his, his wife, to, uh, to, her, to her homeland, and I want you to find a bride for Isaac. Abraham llama a, a Eleazar y le dice, te voy a enviar a la tierra de la parentela de Rebeca, porque voy, a, quiero que vayas y prepares o busques una novia para Isaac. And so we see there the picture of what's going on in the world today. God the Father has sent into the world our Eliezer, who's now the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in the world today, and his work is preparing a bride for Christ. Lo que el Espíritu Santo está haciendo hoy es que él está obrando en el mundo, preparando una novia para el Señor Jesucristo. The Holy Spirit is at work today in bringing souls into the kingdom of God so that they might be part of this great um, wedding of the Lamb. And so if you are part of that, say amen. El Espíritu Santo está hoy trabajando en traer a, a, al Hijo una novia limpia y preparada. What kind of bride is the Holy Spirit looking for? Well, if you study what Eleazar looked for, you'll find what the Holy Spirit is looking for in our day. Si usted estudia lo que el Espíritu, lo que Eleazar buscó en su tiempo, usted va a ir a, a ver varias señales de lo que el Espíritu Santo está buscando en nuestro día. Now, I want you to go to, uh, you're in Genesis chapter 24, and so I want you to start with me at verse 10. It says, Then the servant, that's Eleazar, took ten camels from the camels of his master, and he set out with a variety of good things of his master in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, and the time when women go out to draw. Now listen to Eleazar's prayer, verse 12. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of men uh, of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let your jar... Uh, down so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Now let's get this picture. Eleazar arrives at the land of Nahor, the place uh, that he was sent, and this is his prayer. He says, Lord, I am outside of the water well in this community. You know, in the Bible, sorry ladies, but in the Bible, uh, water, drawing water was women's work, all right? It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. So we're just grateful today for tap water, right? But in that day, if you wanted water, you had to go draw water, and in the Old Testament and New Testament, that was women's work. So where would you go to meet a girl? You have to go to the well, all right? Um, so Eleazar goes to the well, and he is praying just before sunbreak, um, daybreak, and he says, Lord, as the women start coming out to draw water this morning, I'm asking you 
to show me who is going to be Isaac's wife. Who's the bride that you have prepared for Abraham's son? And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing, isn't he? He's preparing, he's seeking a bride for Christ. And so he says, I'm going to ask one of these young ladies to let down her jar and give me a drink. And uh, just about anyone in that day would have naturally let down her jar, jar and given somebody a drink. But then he says, and then I'm going to wait to hear something else from her. I want her to say, here's a drink, and I'll water your camels also. Uh, how many camels did he have? He had ten camels. All right, so uh, scholars tell us that each camel could probably drink uh, as many as five jars of water. All right, so this is going to be quite an undertaking for this uh, young lady if she, if she signs up. And so uh, this is his sign before the Lord. What does this tell us, first of all? That Eleazar was looking for a bride that was willing to serve. And this is really the first thing that uh, you and I have to look at in being the bride of Christ, is that we have to be a bride, a church, that is willing to serve. Say amen, somebody. What is the work of the church? Uh, what is the mission of the church if not to serve? ¿Cuál es el trabajo de la iglesia o la misión de la iglesia si no el, el trabajo o la misión de la iglesia es trabajar? And I want to just mention a few things as we read on tonight because I want us to see that first characteristic was that she was to be a servant bride. Ella tenía que ser una novia sierva. Listen, Jesus is not looking for a bride or the Holy Spirit is not preparing a bride for Christ that needs to be served. Jesus said, I did not come to be served but to serve. I did not come to, wait, to be waited on but to wait on tables. And so Jesus is looking for a servant bride. Say amen, somebody. And what is the work that you and I need to be a part of? First of all, the work you and I need to be a part of is the work of soul winning. Primero entendemos que el trabajo en lo cual tenemos que estar usted y yo uh, trabajando, obrando, es la obra de ganar almas. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesús dijo, uh, en la cosecha es mucha, mas los obreros pocos. So what is God looking for today? He's looking for a servant bride, a bride that cares about what he cares about. Do you know, do you know what God cares about? Do you want to know what the heartbeat of God is? If you put your, your, your ear up to God's heart, this is what you're going to hear. Souls, 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 souls. That is the heartbeat of God. El palpitar del corazón de Dios son las almas. God wants the world to know his son Jesus. He, the Bible says, is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the heartbeat of God is the lost. The heartbeat of God is souls. That needs to be the heartbeat of the church. Esto debe ser, tiene que ser, el palpitar del corazón de la iglesia. El, el ver almas que vienen a conocer a Jesús. And so I just want to invest this in you tonight as you, as you think about what is my primary mission as being a member of the body of Christ, being a part of the body of Christ. It's to win souls, to tell somebody that Jesus saves and to bring as many people to the knowledge of Jesus as is humanly possible. And so if you're not a soul winner, if you've never won a soul to Christ, 
I want to tell you, just all you need to do is win one soul, and you'll be hooked for life. Because once you have, once you have made an eternal difference in somebody's life, there's nothing like it in the world. I mean, this is better than, than somebody bragging about your enchiladas or your cake or something that you did. This is amazingly, uh, much more amazing than that. When you have had an eternal influence on somebody's life. Si usted nunca se ha ganado un alma, le digo, solamente ganes un alma y ya va a ser adicto a ganar almas. Porque el ganar almas transforma nuestra vida. El saber que tuvimos un impacto eterno en la vida de otra persona. Now, now, we get into a place sometimes where we think it's the pastor's job to win souls, or it's the elder's job to win souls, or it's the, the uh, evangelist's job to win souls. No, this is every single member of the body of Christ's job, to be soul winners. Ese es el trabajo de toda la iglesia, de ganar almas para Cristo. And so, I, I want to encourage you to witness to every person that you can, when you can, and invite as many people to church as you can. And, and be a bold witness in your, in your social media or whatever outlet you have that you can communicate to people the good news and the great hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So you and I need to let our light shine because we live in a dark world. How many of you have lost friends? How many of you have lost loved ones? How many of you have lost colleagues? We're surrounded by lost people. So at the very least, we need to be praying for the lost. We need to be praying that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction upon their hearts and bring them to Christ. We need to be praying every time the altar call is made here at Kingsway Church that somebody's heart will be turned to Jesus, whether it be online or here in the sanctuary. We need to be uh, expecting and celebrating when people come to know Christ because that is the mission of the church. That is the mission of every single believer. And uh, when you and I are about that mission, we are just as close to the heartbeat of God as we'll ever be. When we get to that place where we desire to see the lost saved. Now, I think a lot of churches, and uh, I thank God that we have, we have uh, in this church a good heart toward, toward the unbeliever and toward the lost. But a lot of churches lose sight of this. And many times churches can get so involved in their traditions or get so involved in their, their group thinking that they forget that everyone who comes into the house of God, whether they look like me or talk like me or sound like me or not, that they are someone that is loved by the eternal God, that they are someone who is the object of God's affection for whom Christ died on the cross, and that that soul matters to God. And if that soul matters to God, that soul has to matter to me. Say amen, somebody. Because Jesus loved the lost enough to die for them. And our, our task, our role, is to be soul winners. You say, Pastor, all right, I can witness. I can pray. What else can I do? You can give so that we can continue to preach the gospel as a church, so that we can continue to do missions as a church, so that the gospel continues to go out and to the uh, farthest regions, regions of our world as a church because uh, your giving, your seed sowing, is missions, it's, a, it's a great commission-minded, it's going to accomplish God's work in our world. Now, there's some other work we need to be doing. Jesus, in John chapter 4, he described his work as doing the will of the Father. 
So not only do we need to be soul winning, but the bride of Christ needs to be a servant bride that is working and doing the will of God. Uh, otra de las cosas que el trabajo de la novia es que ella está haciendo la voluntad de Dios. Are you doing the will of God for your life? Do you know the will of God for your life? If you're not doing the will of God for your life tonight, I'm hoping it's because you don't know it's what God's will and not because you don't want to do God's will. But let me just start with, uh, with, with that. If you don't know what the will of God is for your life, the Bible tells us this simply. Ask and you will receive. If you want to know something from God, all you, all you have to do is ask him. He says, call upon me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. God is not trying to hide his will from your life. God is not playing hide and seek. He's not trying to confuse you. He's not trying to take you down uh, different paths to, to mislead you. God's will for your life is not a maze. It's amazing, but it's not a maze. And he doesn't always give you the whole picture. You know, the will of God for your life is just about like the headlights on your car. If you're driving from here to Corpus, your headlights can't see all the way to Corpus. They can only see a few yards out uh, if they're on. And if uh, it's dark out, you're only going to see as far as those lamps will go. God's will for your life generally only leads that just far enough for you to go one more step or two more steps. But if you live a life of dependence upon God, he'll show you his will for your life. And if... If you, if you know his will for your life, then I'm guessing tonight you want to do his will. And Jesus said that that was his work. His meat was to do the will of him who sent him. And so our task needs to be discerning what is God's will and doing God's will for our life. And if you say, I, I don't know anything about God's will for my life. Well, I already mentioned one, soul winning. That's God's will for your life. Say amen, somebody. And so you, you may not know exactly what it is God wants you to do next. But I can tell you this, he wants you to be a soul winner. He wants you to live a holy life. He wants you to walk in accordance with his word because God's word is God's will. La palabra de Dios es la voluntad de Dios. If you ever make it, have to make a decision in your life, you wonder, what is God's will for my life? Just ask the Bible. The word of God is God's will for your life. And if you will live by the word and if you will live by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, You might make some mistakes, but I promise you, you'll get, where, you'll get where God wants you to be. You'll get exactly to the place and the destiny that God has planned for your life. And so we need to be about the work of our Father. Now, the third thing I want to mention about the, the servant bride is that our work is to believe in God. Uh, número tres, nuestro trabajo es creerle a Dios. Now, I know that sounds like a strange expression, and it is, but look at John 6, 27. It says, this is the work of God that you believe him whom he has sent. Dice Juan 6, 27, este es el trabajo, la obra de Dios, que creas en aquel quien él envió. You know that one of the simplest ways to do God's work and God's will is just to simply believe him. You know, we're not saved by works, right? We're saved by faith. We're saved by believing in Jesus Christ. Nosotros no somos salvos por las obras, sino que somos salvos mediante la fe en Cristo Jesús. And so God wants you to believe him, to take him at his word. Dios cree que nosotros le creamos, que lo, le tomemos su palabra. 
que hagamos, hagamos lo que Él nos ha revelado, to do those things that He has revealed to us in His Word. Now, the servant bride, if she's doing these things, she's going to be ready for the coming of Christ. La, la novia de Jesús va a estar listo para esto si ella está trabajando. Now, I mentioned to you last time, I'll mention it again, that everyone Jesus called in the New Testament, he called while they were working. Todos los que Jesús llamó en el Nuevo Testamento estaban trabajando cuando él los llamó. He found Peter and John and James fishing by the Sea of Galilee and, and mending their nets. He found Matthew by the tax collector's booth. And so Jesus is looking for people who are willing to work, who are willing to serve. Jesús llamó a personas como Pedro que estaba en la pesca o Mateo que estaba trabajando como colectador de impuestos. Eso nos da a entender que Dios está buscando a personas que trabajen y que deseen trabajar por él. He's looking for laborers, people who will do the work that he has given them to do. And so uh, I want you to just be praying about what that means for you in this next year, 2019, to be saying, Lord, what is the task? What is the work? Where is it you want me to serve? What is it you want me to be doing for you? Because the day is coming when the master is going to come back and he's going to ask us, what did you do? What have you done? And we're going to have to give an account for the life we lived and the years that we spent and whether or not we were diligent in doing the work that he gave us to do. You remember the, the, the parable of the ten talents. Jesus uh, gave, he gave to one servant five talents. He gave to another two talents. He gave to another one talent. And he expected something from each one of them. And God is, is expecting something from each one of our lives. Let me ask you a question. Does God have the right to expect something from your life? I was kind of a weak amen, but I'm going to take it, all right? Uh, God has every right to expect something from our life. And, and uh, if, if for no other reason, because we are his servant bride, we've been called by him to be like him. Jesus was a servant. Jesus came and he served us. He served humanity. And now he, he has desired of us that we should be like him. Now let's read on in, in Genesis 14, 24, verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. And when, she had, when he had finished giving him a drink, she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. Now we notice here that uh, Rebecca comes out and uh, when Eleazar asks her, he says, can I have a drink? She puts her jar down. She gives him a drink. And then when he's dr done drinking, she says, I'll also water your camels until they're done drinking. And so now we see the servant bride at work. But we also notice in verse 16, 
Another characteristic of the bride, and that is that she is a pure bride. Not only is the Holy Spirit preparing for Christ a, a, uh, a servant bride, but he is also preparing for Christ a pure bride. Now, let me just say this, because this is the most important part of the whole lesson, is that there is no pure bride aside from the blood of Jesus. You know that it is Jesus who has made the bride uh, pure and spotless and ready for the groom. Listen, nobody can make it to heaven outside of Jesus. Say amen, somebody. And so when you and I think about heaven, you think about going to heaven don't even imagine going to heaven without, without Jesus because uh, no one could live in the presence of a holy God without the cleansing grace of Jesus over their life. But the moment that Jesus comes into a life, he cleanses that life. And he takes the filth and the shame and the guilt of that person's past and he, he makes them pure and righteous before God. And so when Jesus comes back for his bride, he's coming back for us. And he's coming back for a church, a glorious church, the Bible says, without spot and without wrinkle. A church that has been made pure through the precious blood of Jesus. And so now we have this, this two-part uh, promise here. First of all, we're going to be a pure bride, but also we're being kept pure by the Holy Spirit in our life. Jesus has made you fit for heaven, but it's the Holy Spirit that is on the on the, in, the, on the, in the work every day of sanctifying and purifying your life. And we ought to thank God for the Holy Spirit every single day. Because he is the one who is purifying our life. He's the one that is, who is making us stand right and upright before God. And so when we, when we think about our past, when we think about our sin, we think about where it was that God found us. And we're not thinking about pure. We're not thinking about uh, white and spotless. We're thinking about sin. The Bible said that our righteousness is as filthy rags. That means that our best day, listen, listen guys, on our best day, our best deeds are filthy rags. Uh, on our best day, we don't measure up to God's standard. On our best day, we don't measure up to God's equation. But Jesus came and he shed his precious and innocent blood on the cross. So that every person that would come to him by faith, you can come to Jesus on your worst day and his blood will cleanse you and make you right and make you reach the standard of perfection that God has designed for you. Somebody should shout amen tonight because I'm telling our story. I'm telling the story of every single member of the body of Christ. If not for the blood of Jesus, there would be no bride. If not for the cross, there would be no wedding. Si no fuera por la sangre de Cristo y por la cruz del Calvario, no hubiera boda y no hubiera novia. Porque todos estamos en pecado, pero la sangre de Cristo ha purificado la novia. Ah, la ha hecho limpia, la ha hecho pura delante del Señor. And so let me just tell you, whenever the devil reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future, all right? Uh, because your past has been covered in the blood. And, and your future is that you're going to be standing next to the groom on the wedding day. Say amen, somebody. That's where you and I are going to be. And Satan's going to be bound and sent to eternal flame in judgment. But the bride, pure and spotless, will stand before Christ. I also want to mention this while I'm at it. That when Jesus comes back for his bride, He's not sending the angels to get his bride. He's going to come personally. 
for his bride. Because he has washed her and cleansed her with his own blood, paying the ultimate price for our cleansing and for our redemption. And so tonight, can I just tell you, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the forgiveness of your sins, if you've never experienced the washing and the regeneration of the, of the Holy Spirit in your life, say yes to Christ. Invite Christ into your life. Let him come into your life and make you clean and make you whole. And he will take your past and wash it away and give you a fresh start with God. And see, then we have the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is at work in us every single day, making us more like Jesus. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit is making you more like Jesus? Do you, do you, uh, do you know how important it is that you and I have the helper with us every single day to bring conviction when we sin, to get us back on track when we err? Listen, if we are, are going to live this life the way that God has designed it, we need the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sets the standard in our life. And when we get off track, when we get off that standard, he brings correction. He brings discipline to our life so that we can be that man and that woman that God has designed for us to be. And because the, the closer you and I walk with him, the more that you and I walk with him and, and submit to the conviction and the discipline of the Holy Spirit, then the less we have to deal with the hard knocks that come in life from disobeying the will of God. And the purpose of God for our life. How many of you would much rather have listened to the Holy Spirit than learn some of the hard lessons that you had to learn because you disobeyed the Holy Spirit? Look, we can all look back at a moment in our life and say, that moment I did not listen to the Holy Ghost and I paid a hard price for that. We've all been there, haven't we? And wouldn't you rather have just said, yes, Lord? You know, today you can make, you can make a difference in your life by just saying yes to the Holy Spirit. And letting him lead. Because he'll come to your life and he'll say, that is not the person for you. That is not the friend for you. That is not the, the job for you. And, and sometimes, from our natural perspective, it just looks too good. And we think, if I pass up on this, I'm going to be missing a moment. I'm going to be missing opportunities. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. And he is at work purifying you and, and making you right before God every single day, more like Jesus. So that when you and I arrive on that wedding day, we will be that spotless, wrinkleless, precious, perfect bride that God has desired for his son. Say amen, somebody. Now we see that not only does she... Uh, is she a pure bride? But we notice this. She lowers her jar and she gives, uh, she gives Eleazar a drink. And then she offers to give a drink to his camels. I want you to notice this with me. Is that is that there's an incredible amount of kindness in this woman. This woman is a woman whose heart is softened uh, toward her fellow man. She has a kindness about her, compassion about her that has to characterize the body of Christ. Listen, Jesus, the Bible tells us, was uh, gentle and lowly of spirit. He was a meek man. What does it mean to be meek? It means that we know how to put power under control. Cuando vemos esta novia, vemos también una mujer compasiva, una mu mujer con una gentileza, una, una uh, sencillez, así... Uh, uh, a, su, a su vecino, a la humanidad. And it, it troubles me today to think about 
of where America is going because, you know, more and more, what gets the attention in our world is unkindness. Uh, it's a lack of civility toward one another, especially when you think about our political system right now. And you think about the way that uh, our politicians talk to one another and the lack of kindness that they have for one another. And, and I know it's even some of the guys you and I voted for, right? It's, it's everybody now that has taken this route of, of a brutal speech. And, uh, and it seems like if we're not careful that we're teaching our children that this is how you communicate, that this is how you should act. And we need to be very careful about that because what we tolerate in one generation, we're going to be living in the next generation. And the Bible tells us this in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, let your speech always be with grace. Listen to that. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. This is God's call for his bride, that she be full of gentleness and kindness, that her speech be full of grace. Listen, I believe that God hates abortion. He, he hates the murder of innocent babies. But that doesn't give the church the right to fill their mouth with hate speech toward people who have uh, had an abortion or toward people who uh, perform abortions. I, I'm not hearing enough amens tonight. Uh, you know, I know God is against homosexuality. The Bible clearly teaches us that God created them male and female. He doesn't support um, men marrying men or women marrying women, but it doesn't give the church the right to fill its mouth with hate toward people who are living in that lifestyle. And so our speech must always be full of grace, always full of kindness, because we represent Jesus. We're not saying that our standards are lower. We're not saying that the Bible doesn't mean what it says. But we're saying that what we're going to speak, when we speak the truth, we speak it with the love of God, with the kindness of our Savior. Because, you know, uh, more than likely in our life, the times we have listened to God the most and the best was when he came to us with kindness. Because it's the Bible that says that it is the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. You know, sometimes God will have to get your attention. But it, I really, really have preferred those times when his kindness has been like a big neon sign in the dark saying, Isaac, you're off track. It's time to get in the right place. And if God is in that way, then you and I have a good example of how we ought to conduct ourselves in this life. You know, we can use uh, more kindness in the church. We can use more kindness in our communities. You can use more kindness at your job. You can use more kindness uh, toward your neighbors. You can use more kindness in your neighbor, uh, in your marriage. Say amen, somebody. You know, some people are kinder to, their, to, their, to a stranger at work than they are to their husband or their wife at home. This ought not to be true. All right, some people are kinder to people on the street than they are to their children. And we have to say, wait a minute, we're the body of Christ. Kindness begins at home. Compassion begins at home. Love begins at home. I can't be a shining lamp on the street and darkness in the house. I've got to be God's representative of grace and compassion in every place that I'm in. Now, I lost the amen train again, but it's all right. I'm just going to keep teaching tonight because this is what God is calling us. Now, uh, calling us to be 
not just at Christmas time. Have you noticed that at Christmas time it would just become kinder? All the Scrooges kind of get a little, a little nicer around the edges, and people say please and thank you a little bit more, and then we forget about it once the, the year starts. Not the church. The church ought to be the image to the world of what kindness and what meekness and what gentleness looks like. These are fruits of the Spirit. Say amen, somebody. And when you and I bear these fruits, we're bringing glory to God. The Bible said that Jesus told us, he said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and that your fruit remains. And so God is glorified when you and I show kindness and compassion toward one another. And you'll notice that kindness is an attribute of maturity because children have to be taught, right? They have to be taught how to be kind to each other. They have to be taught how to share the crayons. They have to be taught how to love one another, how to, how to do those basic things because the human nature is about self. It's about what I want. It's about what I can get. It's about how I can get more. But there's a place that you and I can come to with God where we realize, you know what? There's nothing more important in my life than loving God and loving people. Listen, it doesn't matter what you get under the Christmas tree this year. If you get the love of God and the love of the people in your family, you've got everything you could need. I'd say you have everything you could need. Because that's what's lacking so much in our world today. So let your speech be with grace. When you have an opportunity to return a harsh word, think about the grace of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a gracious answer that will, will be like, like a, a well-seasoned steak or a well-seasoned meal. Right? And the Holy Spirit wants to do that. And the Holy Spirit can do that in your life if you will uh, let yourself be led by him. Now, I want to mention two more things here before we go tonight. And that is that, I'm not going to read it, but if you go all the way down to verse 58, the scripture says that uh, Rebecca was asked, do you want to go? Do you want to leave your homeland and go marry this Isaac guy who's in his 40s and who nobody knows how he looks, right? Eleazar did not have a picture. He did not have a, uh, a, a file on him. There was no Facebook, no Instagram, no Snapchat to look at. This was... This was going to have to be a blind wedding. Or you heard of blind dates, all right? This is a blind wedding. They asked her, do you want to go? Now listen, this is where we're coming to. Because she, they said, well, give us a few days. And Eliezer said, no, I need an answer. It's got to, it's got to, you've got to decide. And so now we see that she has to be a willing bride. God is looking for a church that is willing. And listen, because his coming isn't going to give us any time to decide. When he comes back, it's going to be then or never. If you're going to be in the bride, you, gotta, you have to decide tonight. I want to be a part of the bride. You have to decide today because the Bible says if you don't come while it's called today, that door's going to close. And when that door closes... Your opportunity is going to pass. And there are some opportunities you can afford to pass. You know, some of you missed Black Friday the other night. You missed that opportunity. Guess what? You can afford to pass that. You can pass that by. But you cannot afford to pass this by. Jesus is inviting you to be a part of his bride. And she was ready. She said, I am willing. I will go. 
we see that she was a ready bride. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Are you ready for his coming? He could come at any minute. He could come at any moment. We have to be ready for him. You know, I heard the story about a, uh, a couple was about to get married, and uh, uh, they were in England. And so when, when they were about to get married, he got drafted and was called into service in World War II. So he went off to war, and then she didn't hear from him again. After several letters, a few weeks of correspondence, he went off to the battlefield, and she didn't hear from him again. And then they got news that he was uh, missing in action, and time began to pass, and it seemed like uh, it was over. She had most likely lost him on a battlefield in Europe during World War II. And so she, uh, she told her mother, she said, I'm going to have to move on now. I have to, I have to live my life. And so she went up into her bedroom, and she, she decided she was going to put on her wedding dress one last time. And uh, then she was going to move on. She was going to stop waiting for this husband of hers or this uh, groom of hers to come back. And so uh, the story goes that when she was up in her room, and she put on her wedding dress. She was looking in the mirror, and what was she doing, ladies? Anybody guess? She was crying. Yeah, some of you're right. She was crying. Well, come on. Do you know it would be any different, right? She, of course she was crying. And she's standing there crying in her mirror, in front of her mirror. And at that moment, there's a, a, a ringing of the doorbell. And so they go, and uh, her mother opens the doorbell, and it's the groom. And he says, oh, what a surprise. So... He goes quietly up the stairs, and he, he opens the door, and, uh, and he, he didn't know, expect what he was about to see either. <laughs> he, he walks in the room, and there she is dressed in her wedding dress, and uh, now she's really crying, right? And there's this huge reunion going on, and she, he said, I knew you'd be ready, but I knew you'd be this ready, right? <laughs> Jesus is, is looking for a bride that's just that ready. A bride that is ready to say, I am yours. At any moment when he comes, when he calls, let us be ready for his coming. Now let's look at verse 22. This is the last thing I want you to see about this bride. It says, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and ten bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold. And said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? Now look at what we see here. Now she receives all of these gifts that uh, Eleazar had prepared. How many camels were there? Ten camels. Instantly, she became a blessed bride. How many of you like the sound of that? Ten camels and all of the gold and all of the silver. On those camels was hers. You know that you have this promise of God over your life. You're going to be a blessed bride. You're going to have all the gifts that you need to accomplish the will of God and the purpose of God in your life. But you're also going to have your needs met. Because God says he's going to give you your daily bread. And that in abundance. So you and I can have this confidence tonight that as a bride of Christ, we are just a servant bride. And we're not just a pure bride, and we're not just a ready bride, but we are a blessed church. I said we are a blessed church. 
So when you think about your life, you think about the goodness of God, the greatness of God, I want you to always think like this. There's a camel train of God's abundant provision coming in my direction. God always has more for me than I can give to him. And he wants you to know and experience his blessing in your life. But listen, in order to experience his blessing in your life, you've got to be positioned. What if Rebecca hadn't have shown up to the well that day? What if she hadn't arrived at the place where God had destined for her to receive all of these gracious gifts? Tonight, I want to encourage you to stay in position for God to bless you because there's a camel train of blessing that is coming in the direction of your household, in the direction of your family. It's filled with gifts and anointings and callings and power and strength. It's, it's filled with answers to your prayers. It's filled with God's abundance sent toward your life that you might see his goodness and rejoice at his coming. And what a coming it will be. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may also be. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself. Can you say amen tonight? Amen. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord. Come on, just lift your hands to heaven. Just worship the Lord tonight. Just tell him, Lord, I want to be that servant bride. I want to serve you. I want to be useful to you. I want to be positioned for you to use me in this generation. However you want to use me for whatever purpose. Lord, I'm not looking to be distinguished. I'm not looking to be better than anybody else. I'm not looking to be the greatest I just want to be a part of the bride. I want to be a part of the church that you have called, that you have anointed, that you have gifted, that you have designed and selected in this generation. I want to be a member of the body of Christ. Lord, we pray tonight that you would fill our mouth with kindness, that you would fill our hands and our feet with purpose, that we might work the works of him who sent us. Lord, we pray tonight that you would make us a faithful bride. Purify our hearts. Purify our motives. Purify our intentions. Cause us to walk in, in the in desire of holiness and the desire of purity. Lord, take out of our mind any, any thought or any temptation that the enemy would put to lure us away from the work and the calling of God upon our lives. Lord, we say tonight, we want to be a ready bride. When you come, we want to be walking in holiness. We want to be walking in purity. We want to be living the life that pleases you, that brings you glory and honor and dominion and praise. Lord, we want to be a people who are about our Father's business. Lord, we thank you for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we anticipate his second coming with joy, with anticipation, but in the meantime, let us be fruitful. Lord, let us be diligent. Let us be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Dress us in light. Let us walk in the light of God in the midst of the dark world around us. Let us not sit and be idle while souls perish. But make us a soul-winning church. A soul-winning bride. That you and I might have the same heart, O oh God, 
that, our, that we might have the heartbeat of God for souls, for the lost, for those who are perishing without hope and without God in the world. Let your anointing fall upon every member of this congregation tonight. Lord, that as they go into this world, they might be light, they might be hope, they might be joy. I pray that they would lift someone's burden, that they would increase someone's joy this week, that they would be a blessing to somebody. Lord, I pray that the blessings of heaven would reach every single one of them. I pray that the camel train of God's provision would come into their life, meet every single one of their needs. Lord, I pray that you would meet their financial needs. I pray that you would meet their spiritual needs, meet their physical needs, bring healing to their bodies, bring deliverance to their bodies in the name of Jesus. Bring jobs, good jobs, better paying jobs, higher positions. Lord, we pray for blessing on their homes, blessing in their work, that everything they do would be blessed, that the world may see and know that God blesses those whom he has called. We honor you and we give you thanks tonight in Jesus' name.